You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. We're going to be talking about grace this month, and so uh, get ready to get on a journey. How many have, uh, at one time or another, you've sung the song Amazing Grace? Let me see your hands. Who sung that song? All right. I think almost every hand went up here. I'm not going to ask if you haven't ever sung the song. It's pretty well known. Amazing Grace it was written in 1773 for a New Year's Day service by a guy by the name of John Newton. He was a reformed British slave trader. And uh, what an amazing song it is. It's sung by so many great artists. If you Google it, you'll find out everybody from Elvis Presley to you name it. They have sung the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Is it a sweet sound to you, Grace? Uh, I think a lot of people sing it, but it's not so sweet. They don't really know what it means, but it is an amazing thing. That saved a wretch like me. Uh, It's something to realize you are a wretch without God. And what saves you? Grace saves you. It's it's an amazing song. I once was lost, now found, was blind. Blind to what? Blind to grace. Grace is what we would call, or what Jesus called, the pearl of great price. He said, there is a pearl of great price, and he who finds it will sell everything else he has to get that. And when you realize what grace is, the title of our message is The Secret of Grace, and grace isn't a secret, really. But we do have an enemy who would like to keep you blind from the truth of grace, because when you find out what grace is, guess what? You'll never be a slave to sin. You'll have an amazing relationship with God. When you discover what grace really is. Last Sunday, a week ago today, the largest concert in U.S. history took place at the Rose Bowl in California. There was 97,014 people in attendance at a U2 conference or concert. And, uh, you know, the 21st song of that concert was Amazing Grace. And they had 97,014 people singing Amazing Grace. I, I, I was wondering, you know, how many of those people really understood what Amazing Grace really was. But they loved to sing it. Then on Wednesday, they were here in town, the night we had Mark Gunger. And uh, they were in town. And uh, they had over 50-some thousand at BC Place. And they were singing Amazing Grace there. Can you imagine over 50-some thousand people at BC Place singing Amazing Grace. I think that's probably the biggest praise and worship celebration we've had in our, in our town. And uh, that's great. Here's a clip of Bono, and he's singing Amazing Grace just down the street from us on Wednesday. It was amazing. They're singing Amazing Grace. Fifty-some thousand people here in our city. I, you know what? I, th- I, I really think he's got a better handle on grace, Bono does, than a lot of Christians, even a lot of pastors. He may have a better handle on grace than I do. He gets it. 
it, this is what he said in a, a book about him. He said, it's a mind-blowing concept that God, who created the universe, might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. The thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. He went on to explain, when you put, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes the idea called grace to upend all that as you reap you sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts. If you like the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Aren't you glad you don't have to depend on your own religiosity? See, Christianity is different than every other religion in the world. If you're a Christian here today, the religion you have is different than every other religion. Every other religion has a list of moral codes, and they're good, a list of things you do, a list of values, if you like, and you live by those, and by doing so, you can be reincarnated, or you can reach nirvana, or you can get to heaven. If you do all these things, you'll get there. The challenge is that none of us can do all the things. No, no not in any religion. None of, nobody can do them all and get it all right every day, 24-7. And as a result of it, you live under this incredible weight. No matter how hard I try, I just can't get it done. Well, Jesus comes along and he tells you, you don't have to do. I will do it for you. So Christianity, it's done. Now, it's really hard for us to get our mind around this because we live in a society where we have to earn our way, correct? So let's define grace this morning. What is grace? Grace, number one, is not something we can earn. If you want to fill in the blanks, the word is the earn there. You cannot earn grace. We're so used to it because everything we do in life, we earn. We earn our degree. We, we earn a raise. We earn a promotion. We earn, in the, in the military, you earn another badge. In sports, you, you earn your right to play first string. So our whole life, our whole culture is centered around earning your way. Let me give you some phrases and see if you can fill in the blanks for me. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it, right. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, there, is no pain with, there is no gain without pain. I gave that one away. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. By the way, that is not in the Bible. It sounds like a Bible verse, but it's not in the Bible. Ever heard this Bible verse? Godliness is next to cleanliness. That one, too, is not in the Bible. Sometimes you just, they, they sound like Bible, but they're not. You gotta, it's good to go the real thing. Well, we tell people, you get what you deserve in life, or we hear this phrase, if it is to be, it's up to me. And so we kind of live in this culture where we, we earn our way, we work hard. Grace comes along, and it explodes all that. So this month, we're talking about grace. Amazing grace, it really is. In Ford, company Ford, they have this grading system, a scaling system from 1 to 27. If you are a 1, 
That's given to clerks and secretaries. That's their system, not my system, okay? If you are 27, you are chairman of the board. If you get a grade 9, you receive an outside parking place. If you are a grade 13, you get a window office. And if you get to be... Uh, or also, you get plants and an intercom system at grade 13. If you get grade 16, your office comes with a private bathroom. And so it's all earned, and you get these things as you go along. And see, grace comes along, and it says, you don't earn this. I've earned it for you, and I give it to you, and you don't deserve it. What is grace? Well, it's defined as, I put it in your notes, the free an unmerited favor of God. In other words, you cannot earn this. You can't work for it. You cannot repay it. It comes to you free. That's why John Newton said, I was a slave trader. I saw thousands of great African men destroyed on my ships, and I came to the realization that I was a wretch. I could do nothing to deserve a relationship with God, and yet grace interrupted my life. Grace means, according to Jack Swindle, he wrote this, To show grace is to extend favor or kindness to one who doesn't deserve it or can never earn it. Philip Yancey wrote a great book called What's So Amazing About Grace. In there he says grace means that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. No amount of spiritual calisthenics and renunciations, no amount of knowledge gained from seminaries, no amount of crusading on behalf of righteous causes. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. No amount of racism or pride or pornography or adultery or even murder. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love us. This is hard for us to get our heads around, but our hearts can get around it. You embrace grace with your heart because your mind goes, this does not make sense. But if you'll reach out with your heart and you'll say, I will accept this, something will happen. The chains of sin will snap and you'll enter into an amazing relationship with God. You know, one of the reasons we have trouble with our relationship with God is because we don't feel worthy to come before him. We messed up. We blew it. And so we think, you know what? God probably doesn't want to talk to me today because I kind of blew it today. I got mad at somebody, and I think I'll just probably have to hang back for a bit. That's exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you out of his presence. Remember, every enemy, the first thing they do to take over another country is destroy the communication lines. If they can destroy the communication lines, they can get that land. The enemy does that with us. He tries to break communication. Grace keeps the communication lines tight all the time, no matter what you've done. See, it's it's hard for us to get away. Wait a minute. I I don't know about that because I blew it. I think God's mad at me. God is not mad at you. This is what grace is, that he loves us and accepts us in our broken condition, and he reaches out to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Sarah, in your notes, for by grace, circle the words by grace if you like. It's by grace you have been saved through faith when we accept this, when we, when we embrace grace, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's really easy for us to, our default is works. And religion will keep you in works. 
It will keep you doing X amount of things to be right. But with grace, our love for God, what we do for him, comes out of a relationship that was made possible by grace. It's a byproduct, if you like, of embracing him. Mm. We'll spend four Sundays on this, so we'll get it more as we go along. See, we think if I live right, now follow me, if I live right, then I will be right with God. When it's the opposite of of that. If I am right with God, then I will live right. How do I get right with God? I can't get right with God on my own. But Jesus comes along and says, I will make you right through what I've done. Now you are empowered to live right. But if we get the cart before the horse, it's very difficult. So I live right because he has made me right with God rather than I must live right. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and then I'll be right with God. It's such an easy ditch to slide into. But it's very liberating, very freeing. There's something that people call cheap grace or greasy grace. Cheap grace or greasy grace is focused on me. Well, that means I get to do whatever I want to do. No. Grace is focused on Jesus. Focused on him. And out of that relationship comes a desire to live for him. Look with me in your Bibles if you have 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. Actually, it's the whole chapter. I won't take time to read it all, but I'll tell you the story. David is at the peak of his career. He's a politician, right? King. He's also, what else is David? David's an amazing musician, correct? Wrote a lot of songs. We know he played the harp. James, I mean, David is also a pretty good hunter, I would say, right? Pretty good hunter. Killed a lion, killed a bear. Not with a 30-30 or 303. He killed it with his hands and a knife or whatever. Pretty good marksman, right? With a slingshot. So he's very athletic. He's a good dancer. We know he's a good dancer. He's artistic. The guy's got, he's got a lot of talents. David is at the height of his career. The whole kingdom's kind of clicking together. He's been through a civil war. He's got the country all back together. And he's sitting down one day and he looks at his hand. David's got a scar on his wrist. On both his wrists, he's got a scar, really. At least on one. He is, or did, make a covenant with the previous king's son. The other king was Saul. His son was Jonathan. Jonathan and him became blood brothers. They made a covenant. They cut each other's wrists. They shook hands. The blood was mingled. And they said, our life is in one another. That covenant says, I'll take care of your kids if something happens to you. David's sitting there on his throne one day, and he looks down, and he sees his scar, and he goes, you know what? Jonathan. And he calls one of his servants. He says, is there anybody left from Saul's family, Jonathan's family, that I can show grace or kindness to? And they come back and said, yeah, you know, there is. There's one guy left, but he's out in the desert at a place called Lodibar, and his name is Mephibosheth. And he's the only one we know that's live. And David says, well, go get him. I want to show kindness to him. Now, Mephibosheth, during the Civil War, a maid, he was a young boy, and a maid carries him down the stairs. As she's running down the stairs, she trips and falls, and when she falls, his legs get broken in the process. They don't have the hospital system that we do, so he grows up crippled in his legs. He's crippled, and he lives in the desert. How many know you wouldn't be so happy living in the desert 
with broken legs. He wouldn't have grown up with a lot of affection and warmth for the king. And so this is, this is Mephibosheth living out there in the desert, a place called Lodibar. He lives out there, and one day, as he's there in his little house, wherever he lived, maybe it was in a tent, horses ride up that come from the king. And they say, hey, who's coming? He said, well, it looks like the king's horses. The king's horses ride up, and they say, is Mephibosheth there? And he goes, the king wants you. Now, what would go through your mind? You'd be thinking, what in the world does a king want from me? Uh, I really don't want to see the king. I've been hiding in Lodibar. I fled from the king. By this time, he's, he's a young man. And they take him, put him on the king's horses, and they lead him into David's presence. He comes into David's presence, and David welcomes him. We pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Meshur, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, verse 6, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, here is your servant. David said to him, don't fear, I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. He bowed himself and he said, what is your servant that you should look upon me, such as a dead dog as I? King said to Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. And David goes on to say, Ziba, your servants are going to serve Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is going to eat at my table, and I'm going to treat him like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth went from the desert in Lodibar with crippled legs, to sitting in the king's presence, eating at the banqueting table, been giving land back to him, servants to work the land, and promised that he could sit at the king's table, at a banqueting table every day, and treated like a son for the rest of his life. I would think that's a pretty good deal. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He got that because his daddy made a covenant with David And that covenant allowed him to come in. He did not earn it. He did not deserve it. That's grace. Every last Sunday of the month, the last Sunday we did this, we celebrated communion. Jesus said, this blood is to remind you of the covenant I have made for you. Jesus died, rose again. But remember when he was at the cross? Did Jesus suffer a lot of wounds? Absolutely. But you recognize him today, when we see him, he'll have scars on his wrist. Why didn't the scars heal? The scars didn't heal because they are forever and forever a symbol, a sign of the covenant he made for us so that we could go from our desert crippled and be in the presence of God forever. That's grace. We don't deserve it, but we're brought into his presence and are treated like kings there. So grace, like for Mephibosheth, is not something we earned, but we have it through what Jesus did for us. Second Samuel 9 verse 7, David said to him, don't fear, I will surely show you kindness or grace for Jonathan, your father's sake. Mephibosheth did not receive grace on the basis of what he had done, but on the basis of what Jonathan, his father, had done. Likewise, We receive grace based on what Jesus 
has done for us. Does that make sense? Are you, are you with me so far? All right, this, this is a really important message because if there's one concept we have to get as believers, we really have to know grace. Uh, when we sing Amazing Grace, it's not just a nice song or the U2 concert and everybody's singing Amazing Grace. For us, we should be going, how sweet the sound. I am just into this song because I know what it is. Yeah, okay. Number two, what is grace? Well, grace will pursue you. Grace pursued you. You wouldn't be here today if grace had not pursued you. You remember those soldiers? David said, go get Mephibosheth. God said, whatever your name is, go get David. Go get Ian. Go get Ernesto. Go get Frank. Go get Matthew. Go get Sandra. Go bring them from the desert. Jesus came to seek those which are lost. But he said, man, I'm a mess, right? And so was Mephibosheth. Broken legs, bitter, upset. I don't deserve it. You're right, you don't. But grace will pursue you anyhow. It's not me. I screwed up really bad. Doesn't matter. Grace still pursues you. I think I'm beyond repair. No, you're not. I think I committed the unpardonable sin. If you think you committed the unpardonable sin, you did not commit the unpardonable sin. It's proof you didn't commit it. That's for somebody this morning. That was not in the notes. Grace pursues you. It's pursuing you this morning. Grace and truth came from Jesus. It's so rich. Like Methuselah, before we're ever aware of grace, it already began to seek us out. No matter where you may be today, grace can find you and grace can change your life. Look at Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek to save that which lost. Romans 5 verse 6. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this. You know, Mephibosheth didn't get ready before the king rode up. He just arrived. They didn't say. They didn't send him a text and say, hey, by the way, in two days, you know, the king's going to come. No email, no text, no, no Skyping, no, no faxing, not even uh, a messenger. He just showed up. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. That's most of us, weak and rebellious. That's where he found us, right? Speaking for myself, anyhow. Then he goes on to say, and even if we had, been, had not been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. Number three, grace has to be realized and embraced. Because we can sing Amazing Grace and not realize it, what it's about, and not embrace it. But if you realize it, if you're awakened to it, if your eyes get open to it, it will be the pearl of great price. And you will embrace it. You may be the singer of the biggest rock and roll band in the world. You may be somebody who serves at a soup kitchen on Hastings of Maine. You may be a doctor. You may be a teacher. You may be a mom. You may be whatever you are, wherever you are. Anybody, anybody, anybody can embrace grace, the pearl of great price. But it has to be embraced. Second Samuel 9 verse 8, Mephibosheth bows and says, What is your servant 
that you would look upon me such as a dead dog as I. Grace is amazing. It's neat that Jesus brought it, but if you say the scriptures, never once does he mention it. He just lives it. Why? Because Jesus is grace. His life just is a picture of grace. He said, yeah, but, you know, what about, what about the Old Testament? How does that fit into all this? Well, we go back to our first verse. When with Moses brought the law, Jesus brought grace. From the cross forward, we're in grace. Before that was the law. So what was the law for? Was the law good? The law was good. What is the law like? The law is like a mirror. We all looked at one this morning when we came. At least most of us looked in the mirror before we came here. Why did you and I look in the mirror? When we looked in the mirror, I said, oh, is the hair right? Is the collar right? Is, uh, you know, how is this looking? You know, we do a double check, you know. We make sure that, uh, you know, we didn't miss anything we shaved or we got all the makeup on. We look in the mirror and we check ourselves out, right? Now, if there's a flaw, it, the mirror will tell you that, Right? If you got some zits, they'll say, hey, you got a couple of zits there, you need to do something with that. If you got a hair out of place, the mirror says, hey, you need to do something with that hair. If your tie's crooked, the mirror says, hey, your tie's crooked. The mirror talks to you in a way, doesn't it? And then what do you got to do? Then you got to fix it, right? So you try to fix it. That's what the law does. The law showed our flaws. The, the law's not bad, it's good. It shows our flaws. But the mirror can't fix us. Right? The mirror can't do anything about my pimples. The mirror can't do anything about my messy hair. That's where Jesus comes along and he says, I will help you. I will heal you. I'll do what the mirror is showing you that you can't do anything about yourself. So under the law was, that was from Moses. But Jesus comes along and says, I will fulfill the law. I'll take the penalty of sin under the law. We had all the demands had to be fulfilled by us. The burden was on us to perform. And God took a long time in history to make a point. The point was this. Man cannot keep the law on his own. We can't do it. He took a lot of years to prove the point. Then Jesus comes along and says, I will fulfill the law. Put the burden of it on me. And I'll take it to the cross. And once and for all, it will be fulfilled. You don't have to do it. I will remove the blemish in your life that you saw in the mirror by my grace. Folks, that's good news. You don't find that in any other religion. But you find it in Jesus. And when your eyes get open to that and you embrace that, you just got free. You just got free. That's why the Bible says, awake to righteousness and don't sin. When you awaken to this, you don't want to sin. Why don't I want to sin? Because what I have is so good. I love my relationship with God. I don't want to hurt him. It comes again out of a right standing with him that encourages me to live right. It's not a bunch of rules I have to keep. It's because I enjoy my relationship with God so much. That's why Paul said to Timothy, you therefore, my son, what? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Church, we need to be strong in grace. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. 
Paul's got to figure it out. Paul of anybody. He said, man, I was the worst of the worst. How could God even use me? But he had a revelation of grace. Did he live a holy life? You better believe it. What was it? Out of rules and regulations? No, it was out of this amazing relationship that he had with God. All right. Number four, grace uh, allows me. Did we do three? Yes. Number four, grace allows us to leave behind our crippled past. Mephibosheth was handicapped. He was feeling worthless. He was feeling useless. He said, I'm a dead dog. What do you want with me? He's like, King David, get real. Look at me. I live in Lodibar. I got crippled feet. What good am I to your kingdom? I'm poor, broken, crippled. What would you want with me? I'm worthless. But grace comes along and says, no, no, no. You're not poor. You're not crippled. You're not any of that because my grace is going to transform your life. God sees incredible value in your life. And so he sends grace to pursue you. Grace breaks the power of sin. Romans 6, 14. It's there in your notes. It's a great verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under what? Grace. Do you have that verse? Is that in the notes? Okay, let's read this one out loud together. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Folks, you get, do, do we get that? Sin doesn't dominate our lives. Why? Because we have some rules we have to obey. There's such a misconception of Christianity. Oh, that's the, old, that's the Ten Commandments. That's this, that's that. We have to do all these things. There's a bunch of do's and don'ts. When you realize the whole picture, what God was doing from Genesis to Revelation, what he did in that Old Testament period when he revealed the law and he revealed that man needed a Savior, and then we find the Savior, and we realize we're under grace, the chains of sin snap. We're no longer under condemnation. Phew. Man, I wish I had another half hour. I'm glad we're going to have the number three, three more Sundays on this. Paul said in Romans 7, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then he says, thank God it's Jesus Christ. Then he goes on, Romans 8, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. What couldn't the law do? Couldn't set us free from not doing the wrong things. So he sends Jesus through his grace to do it for us. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy, happy day when Jesus washed. I wish I could sing all my sins away. I can sing really good in here. It just doesn't sound very good when it comes out. But anyhow, I'm singing on key in my heart. Trust me. Sin shall not have uh, dominion over you. This is what Jesus meant when he said to the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Do you remember that story? She's caught in adultery. He goes in the morning. He's in the synagogue. They take this woman. She's caught in adultery. I always wonder, where's the guy? How fair was that? Anyhow, they drag the woman in front, and they're going to stone her. They're trying to trap Jesus. Jesus writes something in the ground. He says, if you don't have any sin, go ahead and throw a stone. Everybody leaves. What was Jesus communicating to her? Number one, he was communicating to her that you're not alone. Everybody left. So you ain't the only one who's got problems. How many know we're not alone? We've all missed it, right? And then secondly, he's telling her, you're not condemned. I'm not condemning you. And why could he do this? Because he fulfilled the law through grace. 
Under the law, she could have been stoned, but he fulfilled the law. And then thirdly, he says, now you're in a position to go and sin no more. Do you get the progression? I don't condemn you. Grace has touched you. Now you can go and sin no more. Grace puts us in a position to have victory over sin. Hallelujah. (laughs) Number five, grace restores us to the family. I don't know if you're ready for this. Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready for this? All right. It's going to get very rich. It's like a big banana cream pie. (laughs) Grace restores us to the family and a position of royalty. Mephibosheth was restored to the family, got to eat at the family table, and he was treated like royalty. Grace goes and finds you. Grace brings you back and restores you. And grace restores you to God's family. And you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But you get a position of royalty. You are royal. Oh, not me. I got a lot of things yet to do. I got to do this and do that. And and I get this work in my life and, and then I'm going to be it. No, he already made you royal. And when you realize who you are, guess what? You'll start to act like that's who you are. Not in a weird, cocky way, but in a genuine child of God. Look at these verses. I'm not sure you're ready for them. Romans 5, 17. For if because one man's trespass, lapse offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with himself. Are you seeing this? Reign as what? Kings in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Hallelujah. (laughs) Second verse. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace, every favor, earthly blessing, come to you in abundance, so that you may always, under all circumstances, whatever the need, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnishing abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Folks, that sounds like royalty to me. That sounds like a king to me, having more than enough. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. We have an amazing Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.